0: Welcome to The Jewellers Podcast, the podcast that talks to jewellers, retailers, and industry supporters about their experiences and insights into the jewellery industry. The Jewellers Podcast is hosted by Laura Moore and Brett Lowe and is part of The Jewellery Industry Network. Whether you're a jeweller, retailer, supplier, gemologist, valuer, teacher, or student, The Jewellery Industry Network is here to help you build your business in the jewellery industry. Join us today as a free member by visiting jewelryindustrynetwork.com where you can find events, resources, support, and so much more. We can't wait to work with you. Welcome, everybody. My name is Laura Moore, and I'm here with my co-host, Brett Lowe. Hey, Brett, how are you?
1: Yeah, really well, really well. I don't know what episode we're up to these days. I was only thinking about it uh, today while I was working. It must be like 100 or something or other, but... Yeah, here we are again. Not back quite. On Zoom. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. feels like
0: 100. <laughs> it, does, it certainly does. Well, our, our next guest um, has a very fantastic uh, history and, and career in the jewellery industry. And I'll let her explain um, what her current roles are within the jewellery industry. But we are joined by Kim Hughes from the National Council of Jewellery Valuers. Welcome, Kim. How are you? I'm well, thank you, guys. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so
2: um, I am an independent jewellery valuer in my own business called uh, Symmetry Gemological and Valuation Services. And um, I also have an advanced gem testing lab called Spectra Gem Laboratory. Um, As for my association work, I am the national president of the National Council of Jewellery Valuers as well as the state president. And I've previously uh, been on the state our gemological Committee and also federally as well. Uh, my last position at a federal level was the federal president uh, right at the beginning of COVID and I've since um, stopped uh, my volunteer work for the GAA and I'm concentrating now on all of the um, uh, NCJV stuff and uh, I'm also now the CEO of the NCJV RTO called Vantage Education Proprietary Limited.
1: So so that's why when I receive an email from you, there's a whole lot of letters at the end of your name.
2: (laughs) Yes, there is a lot of letters after my name. And that just means I've got lots of certificates on my wall. So I've got a bit of a glory wall happening as you walk into my office. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it, um, it, uh, Peter, Peter's, you know, he had to figure out how to fit it all on the wall when we moved into my new office, which was a challenge.
1: It does look impressive and it's worth putting up there because it uh, it obviously puts a lot of trust with the, the people coming to, to deal with you. And uh, being in my local area, you're the obvious choice for any of us jewellers to refer to. So, so tell us, I, I suppose on, on that scale, it's interesting as a jewelry valuer, like you you work a lot directly with jewellers, but you're also dealing a lot with the public too, I imagine, are you? Uh,
2: yeah, I do. So um, I... I just predominantly do valuation. So um, a lot of people who are jewellery valuers, it's uh, like a part of their business in, you know, offering, you know, whether they're wholesalers or whether they're retailers. Um, But I just solely do valuation. So that means that, um, yes, I do deal with the public. um, And, you know, I would say that probably the business split with dealing with the public and jewellers would probably be maybe – not quite 50 50. Um, It's sometimes, it's very, it very much depends. Like some days I might not see any members of the public and I'm just sitting here doing trade work all day. Um, And then other work, other times I'm fully booked with um, private clients coming in, you know, having their pieces valued.
0: So yeah, it's, it's very, it's very varied. What's the process to, to actually have a piece in and and to value it? Does it depend on the complexity of the piece itself or do you have like a standard? It's going to take me a day, five days, a week.
2: Look, I try and um, I try to book everything in and do everything by appointment because otherwise my calendar will just go to hell in a handbasket really, really quickly. Um, and even my trade customers, you know, even if they're leaving it with me. Um, I will still book that in. And I know roughly how long something's going to take me. Like sometimes things blow out and I have to stay late and get it finished and, you know, that's, you know, what's going to happen today. Um, but, you know, like it, it very, it does very much depend. Um, but sometimes I've been known to not allow myself enough time and therefore, you know, um, if a customer comes in, it's really difficult sometimes to go, okay, well, that's going to take me X amount of time. It's not a standard piece. And therefore I then need to quote, um, you know, to be able to do the job. And if I've got, if I'm here by myself, it's really hard to try and, you know, like sometimes it's good to bounce something off somebody. Like if Peter's here with me, I can go, you know, what do you think? Even though he's not a valuer, it's just helpful, Um, you know, so I don't, um, you know, screw myself over, you know, because I, I've done that before today and gone, yeah, that's <laughs> really, really dumb.
0: <laughs> you shouldn't have accepted that job, yeah, too much. Oh, job. no, I should have
2: charged <laughs> twice the amount. And even if I went didn't want it doing, it was just better going, you know, because I have done that before today. You know, like sometimes jobs are just not, you know, like they're too complex and people aren't willing to, you know, pay you the time, you know, to be able to do it. Um, you know, if it's got like, I don't know, 50 different types of gemstones in it. I had a, a bangle that was set all different shapes, all different colours. So there wasn't even the same family of gemstones in it. it. had, you know, pretty much every gemstone known to man in it. Um, and it was a trade customer. They didn't want to do it. So it was another valuer um, who has a busy shop. So, you know, fair enough. They sent it out to me to be done. Um but then when I rang them and said you didn't say that this was a complex piece and gave them my quote, and even when I gave the quote, I was thinking, oh no, I really like this isn't going to be enough. But anyway, that's the quote. Um, they went how much? And went oh I don't think the customer will pay. And I went well I'm happy to send it back. And I sent it back. I didn't get the job, but I, I had it was fine because. When I looked at it again and worked out like how many gems were in it and how long it would have taken me to identify them and do all that, I went, yeah, it should have been double what I quoted. I'm really sorry about my phone. (laughs)
0: That's okay. You're a very busy woman. (laughs) Well, So what sort of education did you have to go through to become a valuer yourself? So I um, did my gemological
2: studies here in Australia. Um, So with the GAA, GAA, sorry, it was um, a two-year part-time course. And then at the time um, when I did it, um, you didn't have to, oh, no, I think I was the first lot of students that went through that you had to have a Diamond Grading qualification uh, because you didn't back in the day. Um, And so then I had to do my Diamond Grading qualification, um, of which I'd already had plenty of experience because I, had previously worked for many years um, at, for a, a diamond wholesaler, so I used to grade diamonds all the time. Um, so that was just sort of like ticking off the box of a requirement. And then at the time, it was about a seven-day valuer's course. Um, and after I did all of that education, I thought, well, I should probably work for myself um, rather than, you know, someone else benefiting from all my hard work. So uh, I went home one day and said to my husband, I'm going to open up my own business. And he went, oh, okay, giving up a perfectly well-paid job um, in in the industry. And he went, oh, do you think maybe you should keep your job like, you know, the Thursday night, Saturday morning, you know, like weekend, you know, just in case, um, you know, you're not that busy. And I went, well, No. Don't think so. Like, I'm one of those people in for a penny, in for a pound. If you don't find out, you never know. Um, and basically, I've never looked back. I was busy from the day one when I opened up my business. So, yeah, I mean, I've got busier over time because, you know, I've picked up more clients. But, yeah, I've never looked back. 20-odd years ago now, I think.
1: Yeah, and as far as, like, that's really just your foot in the door too, isn't it? Like, you're continuing to educate the whole Oh yeah. Like yeah, that. yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I think as valuers... Um, we are learning every single day so to um, maintain our membership for the NCJV uh, there's an education requirement that we need to do it's a bit like doctors have to maintain their their education accountants we're, we're the same um, so you know you might go to a training session whatever it might be um, but the um, you know the the you might not learn anything but you might you know Um, reaffirm all of the information that you know is correct which I think then is just as good as you know learning something that's my other business ringing so yeah it's it it can be you know like it's a you're always learning always learning.
1: So being in that that you've worked internationally and studied internationally do you notice there's quite a a difference between um, the expectations of valuers and Their education like the continued education as well and the level they need to be at when you like of course every country is different but is there a bit of a standard between the major countries that we deal with
2: i know um, the the in the uk uh which i do have a lot to do with because um i've you know that's predominantly where i've worked overseas that um, their valuers are not dissimilar to ours here in Australia, you know, that they have education requirements. How they go about doing valuations and things is all a little bit different, but that's, you know, I would think that that would be the same anywhere in any country. Um, But, yeah, I think that um, the valuing valuing sort of world of jewellery valuers is a really small component of a small industry, you know, like if you were to compare the jewellery industry to, you know, any other industry in the world. And as jewellery valuers, we're just a really, you know, like a really small component of that. So, um, but education, I think, is really important um, for for all of us. And I would suggest any decent valuing organisation would have that requirement for, for their members to have to maintain uh, their education.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down, but to mention... You know, the difference between grading laboratories within the same brand across the globe as well, um, you know, when it comes to diamonds and, and such things, like it's it's hard to stay consistent.
2: Well, I think what we need to remember is there's a human element in that, that you know, so um, and also, um, you know, for, if we're talking about diamonds Diamond. as an example, um, you know, like I think it very much depends on you know, what their criteria is within that laboratory as well, you know, so, um, you know, whether they have, you know, the people only doing colour grading for a certain period of, or length of time, um, you know, is that consistent across the brand and all of their laboratories across the world? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows that answer. Um, but you will find that, yeah, there, there, there will there be will differences. Be. And even within the same brand and the same laboratory, um, I think over the years you've found that there's been a softening of grades.
1: must be so hard for you guys to keep on top of at your level too then to... Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. those gradings.
0: Do you have a jewellery background, Kim, as well? Do you, have you ever studied jewellery manufacture or is it just through the education process, learning how to value pieces that are made, that you understand the manufacturing process as well? So um,
2: I'm not um, a trade-qualified jeweller. Um, I don't know how to sit down and make a piece of jewellery. I could tell you how to make a piece of jewellery, as in I understand how it's made, um, but could I sit down and make a piece of jewellery? No, absolutely not. Um, but when I worked in the UK, we, uh, the, the company that I worked for had uh, jewellery workshops in most of their stores. So we had to work with the jewellers and understand how the jewellery was made and understand how to quote for those uh, jobs that were being made, et cetera. And I think that that's where I learnt a lot about the making of jewellery and, you know, understanding, um, you know, what goes into, you know, quoting for a piece of jewellery. So I think that's probably really helped me in that sense. So I've got a really, you know, like rounded, broad knowledge.
0: I was thinking in regards to even just as a, Jewelry manufacturing, you see a range of skill sets for that manufacturing jeweler. Does that come into account when valuing the piece as well? It's, it's obviously not just about the brand, but it's about the trade qualifications or the skill sets of the person making it. Does that affect the valuation of the piece?
2: Yeah, so uh, it would be the quality of what I've got in front of me. So, you know, if I've got, um, you know, a beautifully finished piece of jewellery, beautifully made piece of jewellery, um, you know, that's taken into account uh, when I'm when I'm valuing it, and you know, like I don't have to like the design of the piece. That that's irrelevant because that's that's very personal, um, and you don't. That doesn't come into you know when you're valuing it. However, um, if you do have something that is a brand, so an international brand, uh, well, you need to take all of that into consideration when you're valuing it. If it's a current piece, if it's a vintage piece, you know, or you know how. All of those things, you know, need to need to come into play. Uh, what I would say, though, is here in Australia, we're not great at marking our pieces of jewellery. You know, so uh, I, I would suggest that, you know, the younger jewellers are understanding the value of their brand uh, and then that makes it easier for someone like myself if, you know, there is, if they're, you know, a membership of the um the Goldsmiths Guild, for example, I could look up, you know, their stamp and then, you know, know who it is. And if I've got any questions about that piece of jewellery, well, I can, you know, make contact with the jeweller. But it, it does seem that there's sort of that real lack in the industry of people, you know, marking their, you know, or their item of jewellery with their particular stamp. I even find sometimes I get a brand new piece of jewellery that's just been made and there's not even um, a quality gold stamp on it. Mm. I don't understand how jewelers can not do that. But yeah, and then I've got to do an acid test on it to you know to you know check that it is what it's meant to be. And it's just like, why wouldn't you put a stamp on it? I don't understand.
1: So what's uh What's Peter do with you there? Is he in the the lab side of it?
2: Um, Peter does all of the office work and takes the images and sees the clients you know, to keep me at my desk for as much as I can. Um, and, yeah, so he, he runs the office, basically. I just sit here. I'm chained to my desk.
1: <laughs> we all need a Peter in our life, I think.
2: <laughs> Someone else said that to me today. <laughs>
1: uh, you deal with public, trade, whatever. What, tell us some of the more interesting or the strangest things you've had to value that have come across your desk.
2: Oh, the strangest things. Mm. Well, probably the... Maybe not the most interesting thing, but just recently, um, I had a guy bring in to me. He rang up and said, "Oh, I need to get a watch and some rings valued." Okay, fine, bring them in. He was going to leave them with me, and when he came in, and I said, "If your boxes, if you sorry, if your watch has got box and papers, make sure you bring all that in." You know, he said it was a Rolex watch. And I went, oh, you know, Rolex, you know, they're all going through this really weird stage at the moment where you can't buy them, so you have to then start searching in the secondary market to see prices. Anyway, he opens up the box because he's got his, you know, Apple iWatch on or whatever it's called uh, because I'm getting his his Rolex to value, and it is a platinum Daytona watch. Mm. And for those of you who don't understand watches, Daytona are one of the iconic collectible uh, watches from Rolex. And the platinum ones are probably the most expensive one, not necessarily the most collectible one, but the most expensive because it's made of platinum. And I'm going, yeah, okay. So, (laughs) and then he pulls out the rings, so his wife's rings. And then I've got a three-carat oval, two-carat pear shape, a ring with some pinks in it. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting thinking about my insurance because he's leaving it with me. So I then had to ask the question of what am I covered for? Because I I was covered for the limit. So the money money side of it wasn't a problem. But the problem that I've got is with the Rolex watch, you can't buy them retail, uh, let alone try and get one wholesale. Forget it. And if something happened whilst I had it, what is it that my insurance company will compensate me for or him for? And I'm just going, because the watch itself has a retail price of in round figures. I think it was 120 or $130,000, but you can't buy one. So then I had to go to the secondary market and find out how much they're retailing for. Now, I hope you're all sitting down for this $220,000. Wow. He wears it. Not in his box. He wears it. He loves it.
0: 220000 Wow. He was getting it done so he could insure it. Oh, he was. Yes. Wow. Well, you know, why put it in a safe if you've got something that beautiful? Oh, I congratulated him. one way. that valuable, why not wear it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: So there's all these things, you know, like people think that you just take things in and, you know, just do a valuation, but it's like. No, I had to actually have a conversation with my insurer about that because, you know, I'm, I'm now responsible for this, this man's pride and joy um, and, you know, I've got to say, well, I would never spend that much money on a watch, don't have that much money to spend on a watch, let alone anything else. Um, and I had to make sure that I was covered, you know, because that's that's a, I need to go home and sleep at night time. A lot of valuers probably wouldn't take in a watch because, that's just all too hard now, um, because there's so many copies and aftermarket and all that kind of stuff. So they just they just don't they don't do it. Um, but I think that um, probably some of them haven't thought about how they would go about if they had to replace it for a client. If if you know something terrible happened and they were held up mm. or they were robbed or whatever, um, I just like to make sure that. For me, I know I can go home each night, and you know I'm I'm all good. Um, mm. You know, so there there has been a couple of times where yeah. I have refused a job because I can't get enough cover um, to do it, and that would be even enough cover for my professional indemnity insurance as well, um, because I've had a huge job to do, and the insurer. Um, you know just that it was above my above my coverage that I could even pay to get um and that it ne- the, the job needed to be done in a very short space of time so you know I had to refuse it oh, yeah.
1: wow so as you're in the business of dealing with what things are cost and the value of the items. so um it's at the forefront of your mind where some others in the industry In different roles, might be um, taking them in a bit naively, not realising the value of them sitting in their safe or in their shops.
2: I actually think that um, we do get a bit blasé about what passes through our hands because we deal with it all day, every day, and we definitely sometimes, you know, don't take into consideration. Okay, there's that one piece, but what about the other 10 pieces that I may have taken in a little bit earlier and then think how all of that just adds up. And particularly now when you get, you know, good pieces in, the prices in the last 12 months have increased considerably. You know, um, so you you do you do need to to have a look at. It. I mean, the other day I was valuing a gold chain, so you know, something box standard and simple. And I got to the, you know, the bit where I'm typing up the valuation and I've looked at it and went, well. I must have made a mistake, you know, put a zero in the wrong place or a decimal point in the wrong place. And I go back and look at my calculations. I went, oh, no, that's right, price
0: of gold. <laughs> well, there's there's a tip for everybody listening. If you haven't checked your insurance cover recently, maybe help your insurance and make sure that you're covered for everything you've got on site at the moment. Well, I think it's a conversation because I've actually had a
2: conversation with one of my retailers that I do work for that he has, you know, a bunch of really beautiful colored stones in his safe that he's been reboxing, and you know is going to, you know, start doing some social media stories and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he's got a couple. He's got a, uh, I think he's had a two carat twenty ruby, a one carat fifty ruby, really beautiful stones. He's had them for I don't know ten or fifteen years, and his insurance, like his business insurance. It's like most of them, they insure at cost. So whatever it costs you, and that's how they replace. But he wouldn't be able to replace that now, um, you know, nowhere near what uh, even his retail price back then is so much less than what the cost of it would be today. So I've said to him, I think you need to go back and have a, a chat with your insurer to see whether you're, can, you can get coverage of the insurance at cost of when you purchased it. Or is it insurance to cost today? Because it is mm. so much more now.
1: Yeah, it almost seems silly to have um, cost insurance as opposed to the replacement insurance, uh, especially the way things continue to go up and up once we start talking pink diamonds and things.
2: Oh, yeah, pink diamonds. That's just a whole other story.
1: Craziness, yeah. Well, on another note, look, let's change gears. As you mentioned earlier, the RTO, um, so tell us more about, about that, the value the courses that you guys run uh, across the country, I imagine.
2: Yes, we do. So uh, we've got students in every state uh, this year and um, the NCJV became an RTO last year. So uh, the Queensland Division of the NCJV is the RTO that delivers the course uh, and it's Valued Education Proprietary Limited and we're just trading as NCJV EDU, just makes it easier because... The whole big, long company name is just way too long. And I teach uh, here in Queensland. Um, I'm the lead trainer and assessor as well as the CEO of the RTO. And that's just like another side gig that I do um, because, you know, I need to fill my days. (laughs) (laughs) I know, am I right? Um, So it's a diploma course uh, for valuers and it takes about 18 months to complete now. So they do uh, an online component and there's... six modules that they do that's based around valuation and then there's two business modules that they do and they're elective. So they get to pick out of four of them. And of the six units, five of them have practical components. So like this weekend, I'm teaching some Queensland students here in my office and they're doing their final assessment. So they're basically last year's cohort finishing off. And uh, mm-hmm. so hope, hopefully they all, they all make it through. Um, and, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll then become valuers. Fantastic. Because it's accredited education, that means that unlike, uh, like how if, if people went through GEMO, you know, that it's an end-of-year exam and it's pass or fail or you get a reset. with uh, accredited education, you're given the opportunity to resubmit your work. Now, um, uh, when you're valuing you always have reference material around you all the time that you can look up so you don't necess- it's not a memory test you know like you you're a, you're able to you know use your your resources you know like at the moment i've got you know some weight estimation formulas on my desk and that type of thing so we don't expect students to you know have to set everything to memory however they need to know how to go about and use that information in a timely manner. So you know they the the exams are that they do, and every unit has um, some assessment tasks to it. So you're basically assessing the students all the way through. So they complete one unit and then you know they start again and start you know uh, doing the assessments again, basically for the next the next subject that they're doing. And and
0: obviously then for the year um, every year that they're remember they've got to recheck off points through whether it's education they're a bit of a mix of how they can keep that accreditation alive yeah so they can
2: uh so at the moment i i had a committee meeting last night with my state and we're in the process of organizing an education day so you know we might have opal expert come along and chat to us about opal show us some you know samples uh we're looking at um previously we've had branco uh come across from canada and do workshops for us on synthetic diamonds and uh he's done different colored gemstones as well Uh, i think it was uh, we think we focused on emerald and ruby and jade last time uh, using you know small equipment you know so there's all kinds of things that people can do they can write articles for what used to be the value or we had a printed value where now we um do all of our stories and and news items and we put them up on uh, the website so you know people can go to the NCJV website and see some really cool stories and you know like so there's all all different ways uh, that that members uh, can uh, gain their their CPD points. During COVID uh, it was predominantly you know web-based things and we sent you know members you know, lots of information on all kinds of webinars that were happening all over the world, you know, to be honest with you. And, you know, um, I even delivered some webinars um, from here um, to Jewellery was in the UK. So, you know, we were all sort of, you know, sharing information backwards and forwards. We had somebody from the UK deliver a webinar on English hallmarks and their hallmarking system. You know, so we kind of all worked collaboratively together because we all knew that we had to keep our members you know, entertained. I think as well during you know the the periods of lockdown. We were lucky here in Australia. Well, in probably every other state except for Victoria because they were locked up a lot longer than what we were in Queensland, particularly. Um, but you know, like I think it did help um, people. You know, because there's only so much Netflix that you can watch. Right. She can't watch any Netflix.
0: She's far too busy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yes, Kim. Because I saw when you're doing some of those webinars. Through the UK, um, like like that, have a whatever it was, twenty four hours, just about of um, people holding set times, like it was a stage. Uh, do you think those sort of things are going to continue on, like on an international scale, now that the you know we're getting back to normal and moving around a bit more?
2: I hope so, um, because I actually found some of them like really really interesting. Um, I probably did all of the um, was it. Van Cleef I think it was Van Cleef all of those ones you know when they were walking through their museums and you know they had some fabulous webinars and beautiful yeah and uh, Rui I can't remember his surname now Rui he had some fantastic webinars that are now on YouTube and I'm hoping that for that we will still connect because we're a small industry, even worldwide, we're a small industry. So and I still see things coming through that are that are webinar, like Sib Joe is still doing some of their webinars. Um, so yeah, I mean, will it last? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are we are we all gonna travel again? Yeah, we are. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, we might find that it'll drop off a little bit. But yeah, I don't know.
0: I hope you're right as well, Kim, that they, you know, that we do continue to share this information because I think, you know, during COVID there was such a a massive amount of information that was shared and we can't ever replicate that by traveling every 15 minutes to see a different, you know, person in a different country. So there's got to be an element of a mixed combo of, of education and sharing information. Now that things are open, we can travel a little bit, but um, you know, let's hope that people continue to share what they know and their their knowledge um while we can stay at home i hope
1: so yes but i, I really like the idea how you're saying some of those are on youtube too like uh that's one thing some of the, the webinars i watched during those sort of lockdown times i wish i still had copies of them you know that i could go back and watch them again now and yeah whether they put it on youtube or put it on like platforms like the jury industry um website as well like it's those things can't be wasted. They're so valuable. So um, hopefully these businesses hold on to them and make the most of that that content.
2: Yeah, look, there are some, you know, so if you were doing like the Asian Gem Institute ones, I think they had quite a few. They've got a YouTube channel and they are all up there. So like, you know, Vincent Partio's ones and all of those, they're, they're definitely up there. Uh, I know Ruiz, he has his up there. And there was another website that I found, uh, and I and they've got a whole bunch that they've saved that they've done as well. So I think that there is an abundance of resources there for people to go back and have a look at things. And I do, I, I really do hope that we we do continue in some way. Not, I, I do believe that face there's nothing that can replace face-to-face education, and and you know as. As people, we do like to network and be face to face, so I don't think there's anything that will stop that.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. We we certainly saw, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, wanting to reconnect at our, our recent jewelry industry fair, um, and even just our networking that we're doing around the country. It's been, you know, people are really receptive to ca- coming together and to chatting and to sharing information. So, hopefully, there is a bit of a mix. With the education that the NCJV obviously provides, do you have a consumer element to that as well, or just towards the trade? It's probably more trade-based
2: and um, member, you know, member-specific. And I think that um, it's finding the time and also, you know, what's where and what's the best, you know, to do. And, yeah, it's probably something that we we could look at and probably improve as well.
0: What are the next steps, I suppose, for the NCJV? Do you have, um, you know, plans for the next year coming up or is it business as usual, trying to get more people to become valuers? What's your, what are the goals for the NCJV?
2: Well, we haven't had a face-to-face meeting in two years and very excitingly in four weeks we'll be in Adelaide um so to our face to face meeting so yeah i think that um once we've had our meeting it's something that we are definitely looking at you know like our business plan and where we're heading and what we're doing but probably for the last 2 years we've just been you know status quo like you know because it was we really didn't know what was happening you know at the beginning of covid we had our last committee meeting um, on Friday the 13th of March I remember I walked out of an education meeting and that was the very beginning of where the world was starting to hear all the information about COVID um, and we were all going home for the weekend it was actually in Brisbane so I wasn't going home I was just driving and we didn't know whether we were all going to see each other again at our scheduled next meeting in the thir- in the three months um, and as it turned out no The world basically closed. Well, we closed ourselves off from the world. And, um, yeah, we were – so we're basically just sort of – we're just trying to support our members. Um, You know, those of us who are on the committee were just trying to, you know, stay afloat in our businesses because we didn't know what was going to happen. I had – my my office is what that was pretty much I moved in the June here of the first year of COVID – and I had just signed a contract for all the builders come in and start doing everything. And it was like, oh, what have I done?
0: <laughs> but yeah,
2: yeah, it was moving to my new office. So that was fine.
0: Wow. Yeah. I think it was a terrifying time for everybody. So, well, yeah, well done for getting through it. Kim, what's your advice for people that want to become valuers, whether they are jewelers or maybe they're not jewelers and they just are interested to get into becoming a valuer?
2: So firstly, they would have to have a gemological qualification. Um, So, you know, they would um, need to do that first. Now, whether that's, you know, an Australian-based qualification or an international qualification, if they've already got that, you know, like if they've moved in from overseas here to Australia, And then the next step would be uh, basically just to send the NCJV an email to our edu at ncjv.com.au email address. And then we could have someone from the education team, you know, talk talk to them about what their educational goals are. Because not everybody who does the Valuers course actually wants to sit down and write valuations. That's not always the goal. You know, it can help in their mm. business. It can help with them, you know, buying better stock or understanding, you know, um, you know the quality of things and what they should look for. You know that type of thing. So, yeah, as I say, like I do, I do valuation work for people who are NCJV members, but they're busy running their very busy jewelry stores. So it's easier for them to get someone like myself who does valuations all day, every day you know, and I can do a valuation far quicker than what they can because they've packed away all of their equipment in the cupboard and then they have to drag it all out to do, you know, the one or two valuations. So, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't mean that, you know, just because you've done the valuers course that you're going to
0: sit down and just do valuations. Interesting. I think, I think there's certainly a lot of value in the knowledge uh, from, you know, a major cross-section of the industry having, you know, who need to have it. Um, So it's worthwhile them checking out more information about uh, becoming a valuer or understanding the process through your website. Mm.
1: Yeah. And and there's a lot of jewelers out there that are obviously uh, (laughs) gemologists. You don't hear too many being valuers as well. Uh, So so I guess when you put it in that perspective, it's not just about writing the valuations. It can actually help them price their work and and maybe even buy better.
2: I I think so, Brett, because I think um, the... Jewellers, I think they fall into several categories and they're those who, you know, they're, they're quite, they get stuck in their, their environment, you know, like they don't, they're busy at their bench. So, you know, they sit they sit down, you know, working away at their bench, you know, producing all of their beautiful things, but they don't have, often get the chance to, you know, go out and, you know, value themselves. I think that's something that we're all really bad at in, you know, when we work for ourselves is valuing ourselves and what we're actually worth uh, you know to our business and particularly like as a jewelry valuer that's what I do all day every day and I was having a conversation with a colleague in the UK over the weekend and she had been doing some business meeting or joined a business group or I don't I don't know anyway what she said to me was that she realized um, she's a manufacturing jeweler who has a little um, sort of boutique little jewelry shop and also a registered valuer in the UK, but realised that she is actually costing her business money by sitting down doing a valuation. So basically what she's selling her valuations for when she does them is nowhere near enough. She can get the services of somebody who just does valuation, so just contract them to come in and do her valuation work, and either sit down at her bench and make the jewellery or be you know, dealing with the client, you know, the design process. Um, And she said, had she not, you know, worked with those business skills people and worked out where the money was in her business, she probably would never have realised that. And I think that's something, you know, that um, we probably all do in our businesses, you know, like I know that I'm no good at doing, you know, all the accounting and paperwork and all of that. And that's why, you know, I have the magic of Peter um you know so he he does all of that for me i don't know whether he likes doing it or not but you know <laughs> hey he's not a valuer so that's his
0: job
1: <laughs> he does no. it with a smile and he he's quiet <laughs> so yeah. he's still employed <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh kim it, it's been an absolute delight chatting with you about uh the business and, and i think we probably talked to you for another couple of hours because there's so much to unpack with this topic but um you know maybe we'll do another a couple of podcasts coming up and and maybe i'll see you when you're here in adelaide yes yeah i'll let you know
1: yeah thanks so much for joining us today kim it's uh it's a pleasure to have you on and uh thanks for making the time after a big day to uh squeeze it in and um, take you away from peter and all those ringing phones
2: (laughs) no worries at all thanks for having me
0: thank you for tuning in please hit subscribe to the jewelers podcast so that you don't miss our next episode You can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Jewelers Podcast. See you next time.